Hey, it's at the letters for Thursday, February the 4th. Arden Zwelling with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. Ben, uh, it was a lot of waiting this offseason for things to happen and the ball to get rolling. It all happened at once. Last uh, two to three weeks, Blue Jays have done a serious amount of their offseason business. What do you make of all of it? Man, this team is getting better. And it took a long time for a while there. They were like objectively worse than where they were at the end of the season, at which point they were an okay team, but you know, a team in need of improvement. And then now, like in the course of the last couple of weeks, they've gotten a lot better in a very short period of time. So I'm kind of mentally recalibrating expectations for this team, uh, needs obviously, but I think bottom line, big picture, they are much improved and clearly a contender. So since we last spoke, uh, Marcus Simeon is the big addition that we've seen. One year, $18 million. He is here to play primarily second base, although I imagine he'll likely uh, move around a little bit. But I think the bulk of his playing time is going to come at second base. Ben, do you think that the Blue Jays are signing up for 2019 Marcus Simeon? Do you think they're signing up for 2020 Marcus Simeon? Or do you think that they're signing up for something in between? probably in between because there's a pretty big gap yeah between those levels but you know if i had to say which one will it be closer to i would say it'll be closer to 2019 and that's a year where he was an mvp finalist and just an elite player of 33 home runs in a pitcher's park great defensive shortstop and that's the upside that you're looking at with marcus semyon who they've acquired obviously since we last recorded i mean it's a huge addition it's not quite as big as george springer either as far as impact in 2021 or as far as how he impacts the long-term core of this team, because Semyon is not a part of this long-term core. But for this season, you have to expect that he's got a chance to be an all-star caliber player, someone who could very easily be a three or four win producer for the Blue Jays, a good glove up the middle, a very, very capable backup to Bo Bichette if they need it at shortstop. And someone who, even though he'll probably hit sixth or seventh for this team, definitely has the ability to be an impact bat. So it's it's a huge addition. It's funny, man. We talk about circumstance and how circumstances need to line up in, in free agency. And you look at the circumstance here. If Marcus Simeon is hitting free agency last winter, he's looking at many, many more years and many, many, many more millions of dollars that right. he got, you know, coming off of what was uh, like a six or seven win season in, in 2019, you know, as you said, finalist for the MVP, but the Blue Jays get him coming off of a down year, which depresses his market amidst the context of an already depressed market with few buyers and teams not really shelling out ducats in the way that they have been in the past. And the Blue Jays are able to take advantage of that on a one-year deal with them now, 2020 was certainly not his best year and the Blue Jays would obviously hope that he's going to look more like the 2019 guy. He basically at the worst possible time going into free agency, not only dealt with like a a midsection injury that sort of hampered him through the first half of the year, but also carried a pretty substantial slump into uh, the season. And you can see how those two things would sort of compound each other. And if you just kind of play the arbitrary endpoints game and, you know, cut off his stats from somewhere around the middle of the season to the end of the season, it's like, hey, he's 2019 guy all over again. And obviously you can't quite do that. But in a 60-game season, if you have a bad first three weeks, like Marcus Simeon did, just kiboshes 
your numbers for the year. So it's like, it's kind of like another cautionary tale about how you have to be really careful with 2020 statistics because they don't necessarily always tell the whole story. The context is, is important. And, you know, if there were 102 more games coming after those first 60, maybe Marcus Simeon finishes it somewhat closer to the guy he was in 2019. And maybe the Blue Jays aren't playing in his market at all. Like maybe he's going somewhere else on a three or four year deal for a whole bunch more money. Again, you know, as with the Springer deal, circumstance is really important here for the Blue Jays. For sure. And even at the beginning of this offseason, you saw floated in an article by Susan Slusser that Semyon might be looking at a $100 million deal. And obviously that didn't happen. He got 18 from the Jays. But that was a possibility, at least in the eyes of, of Semyon's agent, um, as recently as a few months ago. And really, the teams in baseball obviously are paying for skills and abilities, not for what someone has done recently or, or in the more distant past. And Semyon has the skills that teams covet. He can play up the middle at the toughest infield positions and he can play those positions well. So that's a great skill and he can also hit. I mean, we saw it in 2019, even before then as a shortstop, he was an average or above average hitter uh, for many, many years. And in the playoffs this year, he was hitting elite pitching, hit a couple of home runs, OPS over 1100. So those skills are there. He says he's healthy now and feeling really good. I just, you know, I think that as he's in his age, what is it, 30 season, age 31 season coming up, I mean, that's that's a player you want on your team. And there's no long-term risk. And and they can even qualify him at the end. Like, to me, this deal is like a no-brainer. It's it's a really good deal. Could extend him uh, if it sure. goes really well. Maybe talk about that a little bit later. I think that, you know, just to show sort of the flip side of this deal, however, is that maybe 2019 was a mirage. And maybe some of the adjustments that he made to be as good as he was that year aren't able to be replicated this upcoming season. Because there is a rather large sample from earlier in his career where he's basically right around a league average hitter if not a little bit below. So like that is also a potential outcome here. Like you don't necessarily just write them down for six or seven wins. It's kind of a question of like, what do you, what do you value? Because I think that in 2020, Simeon demonstrated that some of his plate approach and plate discipline improvements were for real that he made in 2019. Like I think he carried some of those over and he still walked a good amount and he didn't chase too much, but he also didn't quite replicate some of the like batted ball stuff that we saw in 2019 that really led to that power um, and those big power numbers that you were mentioning. You know, his exit velos were down in 2020. Uh, he was kind of just like hitting a lot of like fly balls and, you know, even like infield pop-ups. And you could see how like a midsection injury would definitely contribute to that. So, you know, I think you can give him a bit of a, the benefit of the doubt for maybe just being a little bit under everything or maybe not quite being able to transfer power as well in his swing as he was in 2019. And I think that, you know, if your plate approach and your discipline and your vision are still sound, and it's just like an exit velo issue and a timing issue and a swing issue. Well, you can work on that with Guillermo Martinez. Like Blue Jays can help you fix that up and help you make some more line drive contact rather than kind of getting under balls. As long as you're still kind of selecting good pitches to hit, I think you're willing to bet on the fact that Marcus Simeon can get back to the guy he was in 2019. But I mean, you can also make a reasonable argument for 2020 that the StatCast info like doesn't lie. And, you know, the exit velo is what it is um and he wasn't hitting the ball hard enough so i guess you know 
we'll see. It's going to be really fascinating for me to kind of watch that play out and, and see where Simeon kind of settles as a hitter this year. For sure. And I, I think when you look at the youth and, you know, he is uh, just entering his age 30 season, that's a great place to be. You look at just the variety of skills that he has. And you mentioned, you know, the 2019 strikeout to walk ratio. He was almost walking as much as he struck out along with the power, along with the defense. So there are a lot of ways that he can help the Blue Jays. And I, I think there's even, this is kind of an under-discussed aspect of it, but I just think because he has that ability to play shortstop, it also essentially frees up a roster spot for them because now you know they can carry Santiago Espinal if they want to. I mean, if like they could, but they also could go out and add a left-handed power bat for that bench spot. And then if Bo Bichette, needs a day off, Semyon plays short, Kevin Biggio plays second, you're set. So I just even think from a roster management standpoint, it gives them a lot of options. It gives them uh, more flexibility to do different things and then further improve this offense, which now looks to be, I mean, up there with the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Astros, maybe the Twins now that they've added Nelson Cruz would be in that conversation too. But clearly this is, you know, a top 10, if not a top five offense in all of Major League Baseball. Yeah, even just the contingency plan for if Bo Bichette, you know, takes a, gets hit by a pitch in the hand and has to miss six weeks or something like that, or like if he, you know, tweaks a hamstring or something and has to miss a month, well, now you got Marcus Semyon filling in at short. Like it's not Joe Panic filling in at short, or you're not thinking about, you know, Ruben Tejada was in this organization last year, kind of like months ago. On call. those were the options, like months, <laughs> yeah. like the last time they played. So like you just feel a lot better about your contingency plan there. And I think you just feel better about your versatility as well. Like the, you know, look, Marcus Simeon wanted to play shortstop this offseason. And I think that if there was a club that said, hey, you can come in and play everyday shortstop for us and we'll pay you, you know, 18 million bucks or 20 million bucks, whatever it was going to take, I think he would have he done that. Blue Jays are going to play Bo Bichette at shortstop. And I think Bo Bichette deserves to play shortstop this year. He's continued to make improvements over his career. I mean, every time this guy goes away for an offseason or for a winter, he comes back stronger as a defender or as a base runner or as something in baseball. Like, his development is continuing. Like, he is still getting better. We forget how recently he was literally a high schooler. You know, I think he deserves the opportunity to continue to show he can play shortstop at the big league level. Means Marcus Simeon's going to play a bunch of second base, which isn't necessarily a bad thing to have, you know, two sound defenders up the middle. But the fact that Simeon could also play third, I imagine, I don't think he's going to do it super often, but he can do it, gives Charlie Montoyo some more versatility and helps push the Blue Jays more towards sort of the uh, positionless kind of mold that they see for their roster where they are like LA Dodgers and Tampa Bay raising their way through this with a bunch of players who can play in different spots and you see that with Kevin Biggio being able to you know play second one day third the next and then center field <laughs> a day after that you know I think the Simeon could help them um, in that regard I think some of the guys coming up in the system like Jordan Groshans and, and Austin Martin are going to be able to help them down the line in that way uh and i think that is kind of the the ultimate sort of ideal for the blue jays is that they have a lot of those players and that just helps you sort of tailor your batting order to the opposition pitchers weaknesses or even tailor your defensive lineups to the guy you have them out on the mound so if you got a ground ball pitcher on the mound or a fly ball pitcher on the mound like you can just you know optimize your lineup that much more so i i think that marcus simeon helps in that regard what do you make of some of the intangible benefits that the Marcus Semyon brings? We've heard, you know, a lot said about his his um, impact on our clubhouse and you know being a leader and and uh, you know I think that we have seen that demonstrated 
both in the comments from his former teammates and also in, you know, Marcus Simeon's activity in the Black Lives Matter movement and, in, in, you know, the way he's spoken about union issues. He's on the, the executive subcommittee. Obviously, there's playoff experience there. Obviously, he's played on winning clubs. What do you think that really means for the Blue Jays going forward? It's a good thing. You know, it's always hard to quantify exactly how much, but there's no way it doesn't help to have someone who's well-versed in a wide range of different issues, has a wide range of experiences to draw on, is currently in that process of trying to make sure that he is as physically fit as possible, as mentally fit as possible, trying to be as prepared as possible. It's not just an accident that he got to the point in 2019 that he was hitting 33 home runs and posting, I think by baseball reference, it was like nine war. <laughs> Fangraphs, I think, was a little lower, but that's pretty impressive. And there's no doubt that you get there not just by, I mean, some guys, obviously, Bryce Harper or Ken Griffey Jr., you know, you, you are, there is obviously a genetic element to being a professional athlete, but there's also a significant element of putting in that work behind the scenes, improving at areas that you're not good at. And Semyon had his struggles defensively and had to really improve gradually. And so he's made those changes. And so for guys now who have yet to complete that process of going from prospect like Vlad Jr. to fully fledged major leaguer who has, you know, not to say he's a finished product because arguably no one ever is, but someone who has gotten to the heights that they want to get to, that can only help, I would think, for guys like Bo or Vladdy or those other guys coming up through the system once they get to the major league level as well. Sixth round pick, Marcus Semyon is, you know, not a bonus baby, like not like the super, you know, can't miss prospect. Like this is a guy who's worked for everything. So I think that is a great example to have in your clubhouse. And I also think like one of the most impressive things about his baseball reference page, his fangrass page, is the games played column. Like you see, you know, seasons of 159 games, 162 games, you know, year after year. That is incredible. That is so uncommon in today's game to have that kind of durability and to be able to go out and be that productive on a daily basis, playing a premium position, by the way, it's not like he's a 159 game DH, 159 game, like, you know, left fielder, 159 game shortstop. The commitment that that takes from a nutrition and conditioning standpoint, um, from a preparation standpoint, like just the grind of that year in and year out, it's hard to communicate it if you haven't done it personally, you know? And like, I just talk to guys who have done it personally like i'll never understand only they they know so i think there's a lot that young blue jays players can learn from marcus simeon like even like go and read some of these quotes that we're seeing coming out from current a's players about the loss of marcus simeon these guys are like distraught you know (laughs) (laughs) it's not they're not just throwing out like the boilerplate bromides that you hear when a player leaves town like they're talking about how Marcus Semyon created their culture and how important he was in bringing their room together and and they called him captain and I mean these wow. guys are yeah man that was his nickname cap so like wow it's, it's these guys are really upset that he is gone so you know for for all these reasons and more like if Marcus Semyon I alluded to this earlier if Marcus Semyon can like be something closer to his 2019 self and he can be healthy and productive and replicate a lot of those leadership qualities in Toronto. I wonder if Blue Jays don't look at like keeping him in Toronto beyond just 2021 to continue 
being a Blue Jay and, you know, continue like giving them that versatility on the infield and actually be, a, you know, a, a longer term part of this team than just kind of a guy on a one year show me contract who's looking to re-enter, you know, a pretty loaded shortstop market next winter, which could actually kind of incentivize him to want to stick around in Toronto as well, because there's going to be a lot of competition for free agent dollars at his position next winter. I like it, Arden. He's, he has yet to play a single game. For the Blue <laughs> yeah, You're already negotiating his extension. But um, yeah. but no, I mean, there's no reason that that couldn't happen. I think he's going to have a good year. Like, I don't know where you yeah. peg him for or what you think is fair as far as expectations. Um, you know, I think the Zips number has him around 3.5 war. I should have looked that up. But that's where I kind of expect them to land. 3.9 right? for Zips. 3.9. 3.4 for Steamer. Yeah. I think that's pretty reasonable, right? So... Uh, you know, I think you're looking at someone who safely should be a three, four win player with the upside to be a five win player. That's those guys are hard to find. And that's a crazy bargain at $18 million yeah. on the open market too, at his position. Totally. I mean, it, it does remind me a little bit of the last time the Blue Jays signed a one year deal for, for around 18 million. And that was Jose Batista. Was and thinking, yeah. that guy didn't play shortstop and he wasn't 30 <laughs> years old. And even then, even then, I'm not hating on that deal because the deal was fine. It's a one-year deal. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I think this one's going to work. It's worth considering, like, in all this also, how good it is to be a Blue Jays fan right now and to be, like, one of the few teams spending and acquiring players like this. Like, this is kind of running through my head when I was talking about the Oakland side of this previously. Like, so for, like, as much as we are, you know, praising this move of acquiring Marcus Simeon, Blue Jays don't need a shortstop. They have one in Bo Bichette. You know who needs a shortstop? The Oakland Athletics, they don't have a shortstop. The Blue Jays now have their shortstop. And if the Oakland Athletics had like extended Marcus Simeon a qualifying offer for $18.9 million, only 900 k more they ended up signing for, he could have been their shortstop. Probably would have been. <laughs> right? And yeah. they could have, you know, had a pretty good chance of going back to the postseason as they've, I, I think they've been three years in, in a row now. Like imagine being a fan of that franchise and seeing him go somewhere else and sign for 900 k less somewhere. It was like, man, you guys couldn't find this money? Well, I, I don't know. They, they weren't willing to pay that money, to spend that money. You look at what's going on with Colorado right now, trading Nolan Arenado and that like entire cluster. That's a whole other story. Right? Yeah. Like, like imagine being a Rockies fan yeah. right now. You know, it's a pretty good time to be a Blue Jays fan. And Cleveland, to, you know, dismal. Right? Yeah. You know, think, like think about like Marcus Simeon being, you know, like what he meant to that Oakland organization, obviously, and all the comments we heard from, from the players that he had played with. He's a Cali guy. He has like laid down roots there with his wife and three young kids, families there, all-star caliber player, rock solid in the clubhouse, leader, plays a premium position, works hard, durable, plays every day, like all these things we've been talking about. And they were petrified of giving the guy $18.9 million on a one-year deal. We just got finished saying how there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal um, in this price range, or really any price range. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just kind of demoralizing to think about this from from the Oakland A's fan perspective. Totally. I mean, and that's not a perspective I often, you know, really look <laughs> at things through. Although I do like the A's, uh, so you know, that's uh, that's well, they uh, they have a smart front office, right? Yeah, and they have found ways to sort of like t- it's shades of Tampa Bay, right? To to reach the postseason year after year with really low payrolls. And it's the type of place where it's like, man, like if they would just spend. 
they could be really, really good. The same thing we say about the Rays. Like, yeah, if the Rays had friggin', you know, payrolls, like the Blue Jays right now have like $140 million payroll. If the Rays spent that, imagine how good they could be with their farm system and their development track record. But those clubs just won't spend. And so you see Blake Snell traded when he is like extremely affordable. And you see Liam Hendricks leaving Oakland and Marcus Simeon leaving Oakland once there's you know no longer surplus value there and you have to actually pay the going market rate for guys. Yeah. No, I mean, and in contrast to that, you have this Blue Jays team that said they were going to spend, spent a lot, continues spending. We'll get to that in the second part of the podcast. But, you know, they, they are spending very aggressively. It brings to mind the comments that Mark Shapiro made about the potential of this market to be a behemoth, which... I think if you're a Toronto Blue Jays fan and you had to pick one word that Mark Shapiro was going to use to describe how this fan base would would ultimately be uh, be handled and how this team would spend, I mean, behemoth is not a bad one. That's you know that's probably what you want your ownership representative representative to be saying. You know, um, Dick Monfort with the Rockies is not saying that. The A's are not saying that. The Rays are not saying that. The, Cleveland is not saying that. So like that's. You do want that. Now, it's one thing to say, you know, we're going to be a behemoth. It's another thing to actually build a team that makes it to the World Series or becomes a perennial contender. And the Jays haven't done those things. So right now, you know, we're, it's, it's, not to, it's not to put a crown on anyone because they haven't won anything. But it's clear that the aspiration is in place for them to be uh, a really strong team that has the potential to attract new stars from places like Houston in the case of George Springer retain their own stars that they develop and build a consistent winner. So that's a, that's a nice goal to have. And this off season, they've definitely advanced on that goal. So I think it's interesting. Now I don't claim to have a perfect sense of the blue Jays fan base pulse. And yeah, I just, I don't, I try to, but I don't sense like uh, this, like overflowing optimism from the blue Jays fan base, despite all of these moves, which is interesting. And I understand, like, they want to see maybe some excitement on the field. And I don't know if you differ in that, Arden, or what your sense of the fan base is. You know, I think when you look at these moves, it's hard to say that they're anything but great. Like, this has been a really great offseason for the Blue Jays. I don't think that that means, you know, you don't plan a parade just because you sign Marcus Semyon and George Springer. But it's interesting. Just something I've observed. No, absolutely. And I think people just kind of need to see it to believe it a lot of time, right? Like... Which is, yeah, it is what it is. But um, like I was thinking about this in relation to George Springer the other day, how like George Springer gets to be part of this like ascendant Houston Astros organization, like shows up when they're just about to win and enter their competitive cycle and spends like seven years like winning with them, going to the playoffs, going to the World Series, and then now gets to do it all over again with the Blue Jays, who are like right there, that ascendant point where they are just starting on the like upswing of what they believe will be several years of contention. Like what a charmed career. <laughs> That's how that guy gets to spend his career. But you, you mentioned the behemoth quote, which we should talk about. Cause like this is, and I've got it here and I'm going to read it for everybody. Cause like, I think it's one of the like more substantial quotes that I have heard from a Toronto Blue Jays president ever question mark i mean particularly considering how measured mark shapiro is and how he always knows what message he wants to communicate when he says things publicly it was not an accident uh, right yeah it didn't, didn't slip out not a slip of the tongue like he doesn't say something like this lightly or on a whim so let me just read the quote here this is mark shapiro quote 
I think that the incredible nature of this market, the fact that it's the whole country and not just a city, that with a sustainable championship team, one that has a chance to play in the postseason and win a world championship as it leaves spring training each and every year, that there is no limit to what that can reflect from a revenue perspective. I think that this signing, and he was talking about George Springer, is a reflection of the plan of where we are going to go. And at the right time, just like with Ryu last year, that we would continue to supplement and add to the core of young players that we have, just as we want to keep those players here for a long time as well, which means extensions. That's my words, not his. His words again. My expectation is that we will continue to get better. As we get better, the revenues will rise. I'm putting pandemic aside and thinking about things in a more normal environment. Where I feel incredibly fortunate for us as an organization and for our fans is that we've got an ownership group that regardless of the circumstances now, empowered us and encouraged us to stay the course and stay on plan and continue to move in that direction. That plan is that we'll continue to win and as we win, the revenues will increase and where those dollars go, I think there's no limit to what this market can be. I think it's a behemoth. Is there any other way, Ben, to interpret these comments other than to say that the vision here is that the Toronto Blue Jays can operate like the New York Yankees and like the Houston Astros and like the Washington Nationals to an extent where they are marrying a great player development system, great drafting and developing, spending money on the international market, you know, finding um, really high upside talent in the draft and then putting them into a player development system that can help them realize that potential and continually having like upward progress or upward uh, pressure, I should say, on the big league roster from young minor league talent like players who are going to be MLB regulars because you have invested in the resources that they need to become the best marrying that with like top 10 top five payroll spending on the free agent market and in terms of extending those young players is there any other way to interpret it no yeah I think that's the right read (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think that when I heard those comments and when I hear you reading them again I think this is someone who wants to, who clearly is intent on creating a development framework that allows for lots of prospects to come up. So that's that's something they've talked about for a long time. That's nothing new. What is new is we're seeing that it's not empty words when they talk about wanting to add to this core and having the resources and the wherewithal to be able to do that because they did add Ryu and they did add Springer. And it's not to say that they go out every year and they sign a top five free agent, but Clearly, it's going to happen sometimes, and that's a really good way to make your team better. You know, if you if you have that pathway open of signing elite free agents, like that's that's going to help. That's it's not going to help every time, and sometimes they'll backfire. But that's a nice option to have. One that the Dodgers have. That's I think the team that the Jays really gravitate to the most. They're not going to be the Yankees. No one's the Yankees, but I, I think that's the conversation. That's the realm that they're aspiring to be in. Yeah, I overlooked the Dodgers earlier. That's what I that's what I should have gone with. Like the the Dodgers are absolutely the example of that. Again, to a point where like you're the Dodgers and you can say, ah, oh, yeah, Hunjin Ryu. Like I don't know, man. At you know, at your age, like you got another club that's gonna offer you four years. Yeah, no, that's fine. Like thanks for your service. Like off you go. And we will return to the World Series without a Cy Young candidate. And Kenta Maeda too, right? Yeah. That same offseason, he goes to the Twins. He's a Cy Young finalist. So, I mean, that's like, that tells you how insane the Dodgers are. I just want, I want to add one other thing on 
on the Blue Jays here. So I think Behemoth, and Mark Shapiro is not saying this, this is me reading between the lines here. I think Behemoth has a limit because, and we don't know what the next CBA is going to look like. Clearly, the luxury tax is not a consideration for the Blue Jays this year. Let's assume that some similar version rolls forward. This is maybe a very dangerous assumption. But for the sake of this discussion, let's assume that the next CBA looks somewhat similar to this one. There's a luxury tax somewhere over 210 million, and that you know nudges up every year or so. I don't think that the Blue Jays, behemoth or not, I don't think the Blue Jays are going to go over because in Mark Shapiro, he's a very accomplished executive, obviously, but he's also someone who's the Blue Jays representative at ownership meetings. He sits on ownership committees. He's someone who is in tune with owners more so than perhaps some heads of baseball operations departments. And his history suggests that he's not someone who is a reckless spender. He is a measured spender. So I just, I don't see his recommendation to Rogers being, we need to blow past this. We need to, you know, spend 250 when the Yankees are spending 210 and the Dodgers are spending 210. I could see the Jays going to 190 for sure. Like that's what a behemoth would do. But just to put in context for anyone who, you know, who might be wondering what that means, that's my read on that. I don't know if you view it differently, Arden. That's kind of the way I read that. No, I agree with you. It's it's tough, right? Because we all know what the rules are going to be, uh, you know, in the new CBA. But yeah, the you know the luxury tax is certainly operating as an artificial salary cap at this point. And I think there's a lot of pressure within the industry of baseball among owners to keep salaries down, right? Like if you know that was the big concern that a lot of owners had with Steve Cohen coming in with these deep hedge fund pockets like oh you're gonna come in and like drive up the price for all these guys like we got a nice little system here where we keep the money in our pockets and we've already heard some rumblings this offseason that you know other clubs aren't necessarily you know thrilled about the way the Blue Jays have spent and have some questions which is like that I know that to me is just like it's not the most baseball thing ever though yeah (laughs) like Come on, guys. They they sat out the last few off seasons. Like it's not like they're out there. And by the way, it wouldn't be a problem if they were because it's their own team. But it's not like they're out there signing every free agent. They signed yeah. one guy to a deal that's like totally <laughs> fair. You know, like that article. I I didn't even tweet it because I didn't even want to bring it to attention. No, um, and there's no like rule against outspending your revenue. Like it's not like there's no, you're allowed to do that. Like yeah. if if you know what I mean. Like if you know the, the Blue Jays. Like it's obviously it's a different situation because it's a corporately owned team. But if you were a team that's just owned by a dude or owned by five dudes, uh, those dudes can just reach into their savings and into their pockets and put more money into the team even without the revenues. Like you don't only spend revenue. You can spend other stuff. There's no limit. Totally. You can, there's nothing that says you can't operate your team at a loss. Yeah. <laughs> like you're allowed to do that if you want. Like it's your team. Do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. I think some some owners like and major league baseball obviously is very careful when it comes to vetting new entrants to this very very select club of 30 individuals or corporations who own teams. If Mark Cuban shows up one day and he's like, "Hey, I'd like to be a member of this club." And yeah. they have no idea what the hell he's going to do, then they're probably not going to want him in. But I think that as it relates to the Blue Jays and like being a behemoth, like uh, even like throwing around the, you know, the number 190 is like wild for this team. Like that's a level of spending that we have not seen before. But if 
they are as good as they believe they are going to be. And that is the first step in this process, by the way, for any of this to come true. Any of these like scenarios that we're talking about to materialize, they have to win. Because like if they're lousy in 21 and 22 is a work stoppage year and 23 they're lousy again and the Rogers Center in a post-pandemic world isn't packed, the bottom falls out. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> you don't want to be the Phillies. Right? You're not a behemoth. But... If they are as good as they believe they're going to be, and it's 50,000 fans a night, vaccinated fans in the stands, jumping and cheering and hugging and open mouth kissing each other because we're past the pandemic and all this, and merchandise sales and concessions, and everybody's going out and buying George Springer jerseys and you know Austin Martin jerseys and, and this and whatnot, and the revenues are going through the roof, then that, the money will be there to support those kind of payrolls and to go out and spend aggressively every winter and not to just have it be like, Oh, the winter of 2020, 21 was when, you know, the blue Jays really were aggressive in free agency. And then they never were again. Like, I think that one thing that probably hasn't been talked about enough is that the blue Jays have left themselves quite a bit of flexibility for next winter. Like I expect the way the blue Jays are positioned right now for this club to play at the top end of the free agent market again, Next offseason, we'll see how CBA you know plays into that. Possible work stoppage plays into that. Um, but I think that you know whenever the like activity of the next offseason occurs, I think the Blue Jays are positioned to be right there for like your Koreas of the world and for your Cinder Guards of the world. Like I think that we're going to see this club like we're going to see this happen again where it's the blue jays are aggressive and in on all the top guys and have like a really good opportunity of pulling another player of george springer's caliber i agree and i think that at this point you know springer obviously is a part of this long term core and now they have this core where you have maybe it's vlad and bo and lourdes and teoscar and pearson and springer's obviously a part of that these multi year guys prospects of course attempting to join that core and one model that you can take once you have that core in place is you can really minimize your long-term risk by just adding good players one year at a time one position at a time if you have a good team players are going to want to join that group and that will only become you know easier as as the team improves so that's why i think and again we'll get to the to the pitching discussion later but you know, I think there's there's a case to be made for kind of just adding on these one-year guys now that you have this core and then just going back into free agency for, you know, two or three of these guys every every winter. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you're right. We should probably rein this discussion in a little bit. But, we, uh, <laughs> you know, the Blue Jays have put themselves in a position where it's like, you know, going forward, oh, did Ken Giles blow out his elbow? Like, we lost our closer to Tommy John surgery? Well, let's just go sign Liam Hendricks. You know, let's go pay him what he's worth. Like, oh, did like Bo Bichette not make the like improvements defensively at shortstop that we expected him to? Or do we have to consider moving him to second base? Okay, let's go play for Carlos Correa. Uh, Let's go talk to Trevor Story. (laughs) Like the Blue Jays have just put themselves in that position. Like that money allows you to, you know, really address the inevitable like injury and underperformance things are going to crop up for teams uh, that are trying to be good to just address those holes and fill those holes and augment and supplement at a much higher level instead of, okay, we brought in like Joe Panic to be our, uh, and like, we're not, I'd hate to bash on Joe Panic as much as we are in this podcast. He was great. <laughs> just crushing man, like, Joe Panic here. I know. Well, for, for our perspective, I love talking to Joe Panic. He's great. Like true, like professional, great with, with us and great in the clubhouse. And I really hope he gets a big league job coming up this year, but he's, you know, you're not in a position where he's your backup plan. 
at shortstop. You're in a position where like you have much better depth and you are able to, whether it's internally from young players coming up in your minor league system, or it's like going out externally and grabbing the best closer on the free agent market, like you are able to build much more reliable contingency plans than we see in the past. Totally agree. All right, let's step away. When we come back, we're going to talk pitching. Uh, we're going to get a little bit more micro than the macro that this uh, first half has been. All that and much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on At The Letters. Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producers are Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan. Ben, let's uh, tie up some loose roster ends and uh, talk about pitching with this club because that is probably uh, you know the, the big topic for them going forward, perhaps the, the big area they need to address. Going forward, uh, saw a, a relatively minor move um, to the pitching staff recently in acquiring Stephen Matz from the New York Mets in exchange for Sean Reed Foley, Jensi Diaz, and Josh Winkowski in Reed Foley and Diaz, kind of a couple of edge of the 40-man guys um, in Winkowski. You know, he might be something, he might not. Like, you talk to some people and they really like fastball and they think he could be a good relief weapon in the future. 22 years old, still a prospect. We'll see. I don't think the Blue Jays are necessarily super worried about any of those three guys coming back to bite them. And in Steven Matz, they uh, they get, look, a proven major league arm. They get some more pitching depth. They get another guy that they are hoping for a bounce back from. You can kind of add him to Tyler Chatwood and Tanner Roark in that regard. But I think the biggest thing, Ben, is really just like layering in a bit more depth to a pitching staff that coming off of a 60 game season and going into a 162 game one is going to, you know, every team is going to have a lot of uncertainty with workloads and every team is going to need as many options as possible to get through this season after a rather unprecedented scenario in 2020. No doubt. Yeah. And so you can take a look at Steven Matz and see what he can offer. What he offered in 2020 was not much. He pitched 30 innings. He allowed 33 earned runs and 14 home runs. So it was rough for Steven Matz. It was really rough. Now, you know, we'll, we'll see what he can do. Ross Atkins telling us recently that he is going to arrive in spring training with a chance to compete for a starting job. And that makes sense to me. You know, you're obviously not going to guarantee him anything, but maybe he can impress and maybe he can earn a starting job. You never know. He's been a good starting pitcher before. So it's not crazy to think that he could do it again. And taking that lottery ticket at the expense of, like you said, guys who are probably going to lose their 40-man spots at some point in the next few months anyway. Sure, I think that makes sense. And then the other thing that I take from this move is just the timing of it, which I found interesting. Because the Jays and Mets, obviously, were competing for George Springer. And according to Ken Rosenthal, the Jays and Mets first had discussions about Mets back in November. But they didn't complete this move until now. And that kind of says to me that the Jays didn't want to help the Mets get you know, closer to their luxury tax number by taking on Steven Matz's salary until they had George Springer in hand. Honestly, I, think that's, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think that's... No, why. I like that. That's a really and, interesting point. And furthermore, this tells me the Jays are out on Trevor Bauer because the Mets are in yeah. on Bauer. And you know, not that we need to read too closely between the lines to find out that the Jays are at best on the periphery with Bauer. You know, you look at what Mark Shapiro said, and he said, this is a team that is 
most likely done its heavy lifting. And Bauer certainly would be heavy lifting. So, you know, when I look at the Mats deal, it's it, it's more so to me an indication, a signpost of where the Jays are at in their offseason than it is, you know, necessarily interesting, you know, just with respect to Stephen Mats. Yeah, no, I I think those are those are all good points. And like, yeah, with with Matt's, like, you know, we were saying earlier with with twenty twenty stats, man, like you got to be, you know, the context is so important, right? Like, Stephen Matt's had a massive BABIP. His home run to fly ball rate was insane. Like, that's how yeah. you give up fourteen <laughs> home runs in uh, yeah. uh, thirty three innings. You say it was. It was expected stats were all out of whack. Look, peripherals are solid. Strong strikeout and walk. He showed really good stuff, missed a lot of bats, didn't walk a ton of dudes. Like you can see why the Blue Jays are betting on the bounce back. I'm not saying that he's going to be the number two on this pitching staff in this rotation. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be with this club until even the end of the season, right? Like I can see why the Blue Jays are making this bet on him, just as I could see why they made the bet on Tyler Chatwood. Look, if teams were lining up to, you know, trade you their best starting like if they're if you could get Jacob deGrom for Sean Reed Foley Jensen Diaz and <laughs> Josh Winkowski like okay yeah yeah that works but you know you, you take what's available to you and you trust your pitching department which is like not just Pete Walker and Matt Bushman there's also a bunch of analytical dudes and a bunch of you know R&D guys and a bunch of people who study this stuff like all day long and kind of look at pitch usage and and look at ways that pitchers have used their stuff in the past and try to find new opportunities and new kind of optimizations going forward they're going to try to help steven Matz be better than he was in in 2020 what's interesting about the blue jays pitching staff now is that you have all of these sort of uh fungible dudes when you look at like you know Matz, you could see having a starting job or a relief job in like long relief same thing goes for ross stripling can start, can pitch bulk outings out of the bullpen. Tyler Chatwood, similar. Shun Yamaguchi. I think the Blue Jays have Thornton. built Thornton, right? Yeah. Julian Merriweather. I think the Blue Jays have built an interesting pitching staff that in which like I don't think they're going to go into the season saying we are going to piggyback, you know, X and Y, and we're going to do, you know, this is how we're setting it up. But I think that especially early in the season, when guys are still getting built up, you are going to see something looking like piggybacking like i think you are going to see days where it's like robbie ray goes two trips through the order and now tyler chatwood's coming in to go one through or you're going to see the days where it's like we're trying to manage nate pearson's workload and maybe we're you know only giving him 85 pitches on this day and maybe those 85 pitches only get him through four innings for whatever reason and now here is like ross stripling coming in behind him to you know face nine to twelve hitters like i just think the blue jays have kind of like they really have improved their depth, you know, not at the top of the, like not at the ceiling, but at the floor, like the floor has come up with, with their pitching staff where it's like, if you have injury or you have underperformance, you're not turning to the Edwin Jacksons of this world or the like left-handed knuckleballer, Ryan Fearabend or, you know, like Bozo McGee out of the independent ball. Like it, it like you are, they did that a- once, right? <laughs> well, didn't they sign one guy? He pitched in Seattle. I forget his name. I'm sure some listeners know, but he pitched, Literally, like they literally signed him out of indie ball and he pitched yeah. in Seattle. Like it, it got bad for a while. 
There was, uh, and I forget who it was, but there was one guy who literally like signed his contract like 30 minutes before he took the mound. Yeah. <laughs> At one point, <laughs> it might be the same guy. I forget. It all kind of gets blurred uh, in in my mind over the last few years of, you know, of Blue Jays baseball. But like, I, look, it just kind of, it means that when inevitably somebody gets hurt, inevitably somebody underperforms, it isn't what you thought they were going to be. You are backfilling with either like dudes with proven MLB track records and like proven MLB swing and miss stuff or you are bringing up like a young up and coming intriguing arm who hasn't quite had his MLB opportunity yet in like an Anthony K or uh, I don't know like a TJ Zoic or Julian Merriweather you are not kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel anymore you are getting a fill-in that can give you um, some like at least league average if not a little bit better which is something that contending teams need no doubt it might have been Mike Hostchild I'm not yeah, sure. That sounds right. Mike, he, he's a guy who started a game for the Blue Jays at some point. So that's that's a name. But yeah, I totally agree with you with your your broader point here that you want to have some depth. You want to have some guys who can cover those innings. In some cases, those guys even have options, which is ideal, obviously. And in other cases, they would be shuttled between the bullpen and the rotation, between the IL and the rotation, if we're being realistic about this, because we know the Jays are going to use the IL. And, and look, it's not going to be like... I kind of think that the Jays are probably going to play a lot of eight, five games this year that <laughs> yeah. go about three hours and 45 minutes. And like, I'm not complaining because this well, team I am. is, well, I that's am directly but, complaining about that, <laughs> especially because I have to watch them from my kitchen table, but continue. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very different experience, but you know, I think that it's going to be more entertaining. They're going to be a better team. It's going to be more compelling baseball this year. So that's great. But I think at the same time, it's going to be eight five win one day and a nine seven loss the next, and it's going to be three hours and forty five minutes. Like that's the kind of, but that's the team they've built. It's it's a yeah. slugging team. It's not a good pitching team. It's you know at this point it's like it's an okay pitching team. It's you know I'm not I'm not saying they're bad. They're not like leading the league in ERA or anything either at this point. Do you think they're above average? I think they're okay. I think I, I think they're league average. Yeah, that's what I think. I think they're right there. I think they're probably league average on talent and they because of the division they play in they probably finish with you know an ERA that's a little worse than league average their runs allowed total would be a little worse but probably on talent they're about league average so they're fine but yeah I see a lot of yeah eight seven ball games in their future so let's make them better because I think the Blue Jays are still working to add to the run prevention yeah. side of things uh, prior to opening day. And it might be something that a process that just kind of has to extend into spring training. You know, I, I kind of feel like it's going to be one of those situations where like Bauer is going to go wherever Bauer goes. And then you're going to see like the Odorizzi's and the Paxton's and the Walker's like fly off the board in a little bit of a domino effect. Could happen backwards, but if if you know somebody gets really squirrely and is like look i just want to get into a camp and start getting ready for this year i'm gonna get what i get but you know to me um if the blue jays can get james paxton for a year and something like eight to twelve million dollars do it <laughs> you know and and i i'm sure that you know look there's a budget and the blue jays have to try to work that out they have some possible incentives that could come through this year they got to kind of manage that but if they could do something like that um, if they could do Paxton on like an eight to ten million with two to four million of incentives himself, depending on you know health and games pitched, I'd be intrigued with that. And I think the other name that a lot of Blue Jays fans are looking at is is Taiwan Walker. 
And that's a guy who I would expect is looking for multiple years, considering he's 28 years old uh, and coming off of a pretty good season results-wise. But then I guess the push-pull there is I think the Blue Jays are thinking, and you can kind of elaborate a bit more on this, more short-term with with any potential ads to the pitching staff right now. Yeah, that's my sense. And that's where I see Jay Cotarizzi is a little less likely now than I would have a month ago. Yeah, and so I think Paxton totally agree with what you said. If they can get him for eight would be a steal. 12 is honestly pretty fair market value when you consider Kluber got 11. Yeah. And, you know, Kluber pitched one inning. Paxton made, I think, six starts, you know, health issues. So you, similar situation. They're both in their 30s. Kluber's more accomplished, but he's older. So, you know, that range, I think, is fair for Paxton. And we'll see. I mean, his agent, Scott Boris, notorious for playing things out slowly. I'm not expecting quick resolution there. You never know, though. I mean, at some point, you figure he's going to sign. And he would certainly help the Jays and give them the upside of someone who would kind of take a leap beyond that group we were just talking about and give you someone who could conceivably start a playoff game, um, which obviously is something that he did in 2019 for the Yankees three times. So I think he's, he's really interesting. I think Walker would be interesting too. And, and the Jays do definitely have interest in Walker. They definitely have interest in Paxton, even after the, the signing of Liriano, even after uh, trading for Mats, that interest still exists, which says to us that the finances are there for them to spend 10 million, 12 million on a starting pitcher. They can do that. That's evident right now. So where that leads, I don't know exactly but yeah, like I said, they have interest in Walker. They have interest in Paxton. And even if they were to miss on those guys, which I'm not predicting, but I'm just saying like if they were to miss on, on all three of those starting pitchers, you could still sign like a Rick Porcello, you know, for one year and six or seven or something. And I mean, he, he had a pretty good FIP last year. Like he's not that old. Like you, there are other guys out there. So the interesting thing with Taiwan Walker, um, like I find his free agency so, so interesting. Cause like, like, so look at it this way, 28 years old. So like really young for the class. Yeah. Um, and coming off of a season in which he had a two, seven ERA, 28 year old starting pitcher made every single one of his starts, wasn't hurt and had a two, seven ERA and is having trouble getting multi-year commitments. And it's like, why is that? Because the some of the kind of stack cast stuff the teams like to use and some of the sort of more advanced statistics that teams like to use to measure and project performance forward aren't super sexy with Taiwan Walker. Like it is below average velocity and it's below average spin. And he gave up some pretty unideal contact last year. So you also layer in like the lack of durability throughout his career, which I think also is a little bit of a warning sign for teams. But even putting that aside, like just some of the peripheral stuff, like just teams aren't going to love. And it's just kind of like this really cool case study of, you know, what teams value and how teams are evaluating players and putting values on players going forward versus Tywin Walker showing up and saying, Hey, look at the box score though. Like, look at the fact that I didn't give up earned runs. Like, did I get the outs or not? Like, did the runs score? Did guys cross the plate <laughs> or not? So there's like that push pull that we see going across, you know, going on across the game in totality today but like walker's interesting case study there and also an interesting case study for like just the like erosion of baseball's middle class in free agency when you talk about a 28 year old coming off a 2-7 era season made all the starts and can't get multi-year offers like the sort of one to three win quote-unquote veteran at 28 
is really struggling in this market to get paid commensurate to their production. Totally. Now, I'm not assuming that he doesn't have or can't get multi-year offers. I don't know that the Jays would see that as their top option right now. Like, I think if the Jays had their preference, it would probably be one year for Walker. But I don't know, you know, what's out there from the Phillies or the Cardinals or the Giants, for example. Like, those teams said to be in the market for starting pitching. Maybe they go to. Like, I'll say this for whatever it's worth, because, you know, I'm a podcaster and a writer, but I I think it's totally reasonable to go multi-years for Taiwan Walker. Like two times 11, sure. Even three, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's crazy. I, I think that you're looking at someone who, as you said, Arden, like his stack has to numbers don't jump off the page, but this is a guy just now diving into the world of analytics. And, you know, he's fully recovered, obviously, from his Tommy John. A very strong guy with a lot of potential uh, velocity in there. So I think when you combine that with the fact that he has been a very good pitcher when he's been on the mound, I think that there's still a chance he gets a couple years, but that doesn't take away from your, from your broader point, which is that these guys are getting squeezed. And if he was on the market four or five years ago, he might have got the Jeff Samarja deal, you know, yeah. like he might have got 80 million or he might have got 60 million. And that's not going to happen. Tanner Roark got 228. 224. 224. That's totally fine for Taiwan Walker. Exactly. Right? And I like I from the team's perspective, I understand the Blue Jays want to maintain their flexibility next winter, right? Like they want to be able to be big players in what could be like a pretty historic free agent class next winter. Although, you know, some of the free agents starting pitching options next winter like aren't necessarily the sexiest. Like we'll see what Cindergaard is when he comes back from injury. And then you've also got like guys where it's very injury dependent, like, you know, like Clayton Kershaw, for instance, right? Like, is he still going to be Clayton Kershaw of old or are the injuries going to catch up with him? Like Max Scherzer, who will Verlander, be like, right? Granky. Guys will be it's like all the 38, right? <laughs> I love <39. laughs> Great, you know, but Tywin Walker's 28 yeah. and made all of his starts and the earned runs did not score. Like, I, you know, and I, I don't know, man, I wonder what, a lot of the numbers would look like without that Yankee start. Remember that Yankee start in uh, when like, I, I forget who, I think somebody made a, a heinous error in the outfield and then things just like oh, fell apart. Yeah, that was Walker. at Yankee Stadium. That yeah. was the Derek Fisher game. Was that the Fisher game? Yeah. yeah. What does this season look like if that start goes differently? That is one of 11 yeah. starts, you know? That's almost 10% of his season. That, that, you know, start where he like didn't get out of the second inning because there was no defense being played behind him. Um, Good point. So, you know, like it's it, his, his free agency is fascinating to me. And oh, by the way, like a guy who everybody sings his praises as a strong clubhouse dude and a guy who also has voiced like, I want to be a Toronto Blue Jay. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. Has, has come out and said like, no, I want to come back. <laughs> I really enjoyed my time in this team. I have yet to even be inside the Rogers Center home clubhouse and I still want to like continue to be a part of this team playing in minor league ballparks. Yeah, let's go send me to Dunedin in April where the ball is going to like friggin' fly yeah. over the outfield walls <laughs> where everybody's going to be trying to throw little like two seamers down in the zone and try to get as much ground ball contact as possible because hitters are just going to be trying to lift 
the ball up into that hot air with the wind blowing out. Like we've all been to those spring training games, Ben, where it is like 11 to 9. You were saying earlier every game's going to be 8 to 5. Yeah. The Blue Jays are playing home games <laughs> at the TD Ballpark in Dunedin. You might need to like tack on an extra three or four runs to each of those score totals. Yeah, stock up on the Blue Jays hitters in your fantasy baseball drafts. You know, yeah. bet the over on the runs scored total. And and honestly, like if I was the Blue Jays, I don't think they honestly know the final decision as to where they're going to be playing. But it's probably going to start in Dunedin, or at least there's a very good chance of that. And if I was engaging with these free agent starting pitchers, probably wouldn't advertise that too loudly. Just, you know, it's not necessarily uh, the most pitcher friendly environment. We'll see. I mean, it's, you know, we also have incomplete information on that front too, because major leaguers don't usually play there during the months of April through September, but we'll see. Yeah, but even even the minor league hitters yeah. are able to. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a hitter's paradise. Like I think, yeah, it's we're going to see a lot of runs scored this year. So you know, we'll see if the Blue Jays are able to get something done with a, a Paxton or a Walker. You know, I do think that just like in a in a big picture macro sense, like the Blue Jays are still waiting for their opportunity to acquire like a front line starter likely via trade we kind of talked about who's available next winter in free agency and like Syndergaard's like the one name but we gotta see what he looks like when he comes back um like I just think the Blue Jays are waiting for their like their Chris Sale opportunity where the Red Sox were able to grab Sale from the White Sox like when he was you know 27 in his prime with multiple years of like four years I think of club control remaining and the Red Sox pay a like a big prospect price certainly Moncada was in that deal. Kopak was in that deal. But the Red Sox supplement a young homegrown roster and go on to win a World Series. Like, I think the Blue Jays, are, they're waiting for like that opportunity. Like what, you know, how the Astros got Cole. Or even you mentioned Verlander before. And Verlander was a bit later in his career when the Astros got him. But similarly, you know, the Tigers are motivated to move Verlander and the Astros were able to jump on that, trade a prospect package for him, um, go off and win a, a World Series. So I just think that the Blue Jays are, waiting for that opportunity to come along and this winter's opportunities to acquire that type of like high upside frontline starting pitching, whether it's Blake Snell, who, you know, would the Rays want to trade him in the division, whether it's Hugh Darvish, who could have had the Blue Jays on his no trade list. I just don't think the opportunities presented themselves this winter, but I do think the next time an opportunity like that does present itself, the Blue Jays are going to look to be pretty aggressive and offer up some like pretty good prospects to really address their pitching in a meaningful way. Yeah, agreed. And that could be as soon as this summer. And we know that they didn't trade basically any of their top prospects this year. Uh, it was all through free agency with the exception of Matt's we discussed. So they will have a full cupboard of prospects to work with. Do you think like, this is like, this is getting way, way ahead of ourselves, but just for fun, like that's been the entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But so obviously like this team can score with anyone. I think we both agree on that. As the pitching is currently constituted, like, could you imagine, like, could they win the World Series with this pitching? Yes. I think the, like, in baseball, like, it's can you make the postseason? Once you're in the postseason, you can do anything, man. <laughs> a lot of teams can win the World Series once again in the postseason. You're talking about it's, if, you know, if the playoffs are expanded, if it's a three game first round, anything could happen. And then even a seven game series where you can bring back Hunjin Ryu possibly three times, you could have Nate Pearson pitch twice. Like, I yeah, I think absolutely the Blue Jays could win the World Series with this pitching staff. The question is, can they get to the postseason? Like, do they have the arms to get them through like 
Hunjin Ryu's uh, shoulder inflammation in July that shuts him down for three weeks. And then Nate Pearson has another elbow issue that keeps him out for six weeks. And Jordan Romano's finger is acting up. So he's down for a bit. You know what I mean? Like, do they have the depth and the production and the quality to get them through those phases and get them to the postseason, particularly if there are only going to be five playoff teams in 2021? Which we think there will be, um, you know, based on based on where things stand. Uh, topic again for another podcast: the whole CB or negotiations uh, between those sides. But we we are expecting five teams per league. And then, as you said, I mean, do you go into a four game series at Yankee Stadium with Trent Thornton, Tanner Roark, Stephen Matz, and Ross Stripling? And you know, that, I think that is a good question. I agree with you on both. I think they could win the World Series with it. I don't think they're the best team in baseball, but as we see in baseball all the time, it's not the best team that wins. They still have work to do, though. So we'll see what happens on that front. But uh, well, and maybe you get to the deadline and you're trading for a, sure. you know, and maybe the, the Mets aren't as good as I think they're going to be. Something weird happens with them, and they're looking to move Syndergaard at the deadline and get something, you know, get something returned before he walks in, in free agency. Maybe you're like competitive in late August, September. Simeon Woods Richardson's been tearing it up, Triple A Buffalo, and getting minor league hitters out. You say, "All right, here you go." Like I know you're only like 2021, 20, but we're trying to win now. You know, let's start that clock and let's get you up here and let's get you getting big league hitters out. So Alejandro Kirk go from high A to the big leagues just last right. year when the Blue Jays were pushing for a playoff spot and wanted some more production out of the catching position offensively, and you know wanted uh, his bat in the lineup. We've seen him do it, so I don't see why they wouldn't do that again to supplement their pitching staff with some of their high upside pitchers if they have that need. Yeah, it's obviously premature to, to seriously wonder about those sorts of things, but they're a way better team than they were before, and they have a lot. They've improved a lot and made things a lot more interesting. Yes, absolutely. That's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I am Arden Zwelling. Our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. We thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next time on At The Letters.